0: Well, let's go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that is here and that you ask that you guide and lead us through the the word and help us to understand what you'd have us to know and understand. And and we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. All right, Psalm 44. To the chief musicians for the sons of Korah, Mishil, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us What work you did in their days in the times of old. How you did drive out the heathen with your hand and and planted them. And how you did afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your countenance. Because you had favor unto them. You are my my king, O God. Command deliverance for Jacob. Through you we will push down our enemies. Through your name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have put them to shame that hate us. In God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever, Selah. But you have cut off and put us to shame and go not forth with your armies. You make us to turn back from our enemy, and they which hate us spoil for themselves. You have given us like sheep appointed for meat, and have scattered us among the heathen. You sell your people for naught, and do not increase your wealth by their price. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, and a scorn and a derision to them that are around about us. You make us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. My confusion is continually before me, and my shame, and the shame of my face covers me, for the voice of him that reproaches and blasphemes by reason of the enemy and avenger. All this has come upon us, yet we have not forgotten thee. Neither have we dealt falsely in our co- covenant. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy from your way. Though you have sore broken us in the place of the dragons and covered us with the shadow of death. If we have forgotten the name of our Lord or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God stretch out? Uh, search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yea, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hide you... you Hide you, your face, and forget our afflictions and our oppressions. For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly cleaves to the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us for your your mercy's sake. All right. This uh, psalm starts out and basically breaks down into three parts. He's given a historical statement. He's going into the present time, and then he's asking God for his grace. So we're going to kind of look at this a little bit and see where, what we have. Um, this is to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, of Mishiel, which they say is a song or a poem of contemplation. So Psalm 44. 44 okay. Took me a long time to find it, but I did. Sorry, I thought I made it clear. <laughs> well, may help I- <laughs>
1: where, where
2: did you stop reading at? It I read the whole chapter. I read the whole chapter.
0: Yeah, one to twenty-six. One to twenty-six. It says, For we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work you have done in their days and times of old. So whoever the writer is here is saying, you know, we've heard about the old things that you've done. Okay, and he's going to go in and list a lot of what it is, but he says, We have heard. We have heard what you have done, God. We have we've heard the testimony. We we know what you've done in the past, how you did drive out the heathen with your hand and planted them, how you did afflict the people and cast them out. So what event is he talking about here?
1: When they went into
0: Canaan into the promised land, right? You God drove them out, you with your hand planted them outside or sent them away. Uh, And you established the people and you afflicted the them and you cast out the Canaanites is basically what they're saying here. And this is what God told Moses when you're reading Exodus and Deuteronomy, he says, I will go in, I will drive them out. And and he didn't, he didn't need them to go in. He says, I will drive them out as a hornet chasing them out. So, you know, he's going, you're going to, and basically you're going to go in, you're going to look like you're fighting, but it's going to be God that gives you the victory. Isn't that what we need to keep in remembrance? When we have victory, it's God that gives us the victory. We are never the one that's victorious. Our flesh will not stand before God. If we think we've done something, we probably haven't had a true victory because it's God or we're not understanding who the victorious one is. God says, unless I build a house, you labor in vain to build it. And that goes for our churches, for our families. If, we're, if God is not the one that builds them, we're wasting our time. Because we'll never be successful in, in building anything without God that's going to last. And whether it's a Sunday school class, a church, a family, uh, a relationship, it's God that is the one that's going to be victorious as he guides us through this. And it says that uh, in verse 3, For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did, they, did their own arm save them, but your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you had favor on them. And this is true. When they marched into, into Canaan, there is no reason in the world that they should have had victory. Their very first battle should not have been victorious. That was the battle of Jericho. Right. Right. You know, And the wonderful human plan that they put together. March around the city one time a day for six days and march around seven times on the seventh and shout. Loud. Shout loud, yeah. <laughs> and, and blow the trumpet. And blow a trumpet and you know that that was a wonderful plan. That was a plan that any person could have think of, right? No, nobody in their right mind would have thought of that plan. You know. You would have thought you know, you would have thought that you would have been told, okay, get here's how you make a catapult, here's how you make a, a siege ramp, you know. Here's how you take this walled city. You dig under it. You know All the different things they did to fight walled cities. And you know, if you were in Jericho, could you imagine what that would have been like? Here they come. You know, you've heard, you, they were already afraid of them because they had heard what God had done in Egypt. They knew the power of their God. They knew that they had been victorious in all their battles all through the Transjordan area that they fought. They hadn't lost a battle. And here they come, and their, and their strategy is to march around my city. Yeah. If I was in the city, I'd be looking down and going, What are those crazy guys doing?
2: I bet they were laughing.
0: They probably were. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. yeah. But that woman was, uh-huh. red was not laughing.
0: No. She knew. Yeah. But you could imagine, they would look down and go, These guys are nuts. And here they come around the second day and just march around the city. They're not saying anything. These guys are really nuts. <laughs>
1: I they were getting nervous, though. I'm
0: sure there was something. What what is the strategy? What what are they doing? What are, what is the strategy that they're doing? Are they are they trying to drive us insane? What are they trying to do out there? Don't
2: you think their feet came down and everybody's hit at the same time, jarring that ground? But God would have done it. I oh, don't. I don't think
0: you. so. I don't think they were that organized an army.
2: I don't mean they did it on purpose. Yeah.
0: I don't think they were organized, I think it just, I think God was saying, you're gonna do it my way and I'm gonna show you how I am going to give you this land. And it was a point to make it to every other walled city out there. If Jericho can't stand, nobody else can.
2: Had, had Joshua, did Joshua quit or die? He died. Had they, and they quit when he died, right?
0: Mm, well, some did, many did.
2: But the point is, if they'd have kept on keeping on, there wouldn't be quite as much trouble. Over well, even already.
0: before, even before he died, they had stopped fighting for their land.
2: That's
0: what I thought. Yeah, even before he died, they had pretty much stopped. They had not fulfilled what they were supposed to do. And so this is this shows you the downfall that happens to people. They start out strong when their leader is strong, yeah. and has a vision, then things happen. But it's the leader, the leader through God, that drives it. Do you think
1: Moses was buried, or did, did God just take him? With him? huh. Oh, Moses.
0: We know that Moses died.
1: I know he died on the mount. I know yeah. that
0: was, you know. He and his body was taken by the angels to be buried someplace, most likely, because Jude tells us that there was a battle between Michael and and lucifer over the body of moses yeah book of Jude. yeah that big that big book that very few people read right before revelation Uh, yeah the the one the one the one chapter talks about uh... michael battling for the body of jesus and saying the lord rebuke you Moses, what did I say? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Moses. <laughs> I wasn't correcting you. I was asking you. Yeah, bodily of Moses. Uh, I believe it's like verse 8 or 9 in there.
2: You know, I
1: told, I've always wondered
0: about, because I know nobody knows where he was buried, where he but if he was buried or if they just did it dead. Verse 9. That was right. Eight or nine. And it was nine. Surely it doesn't say that he was buried on earth or heaven. No, it doesn't say that he was buried. It just said they fought over the body. And we know that the flesh doesn't go to heaven, so I mean it's... And then he
2: appeared before Jesus was crucified.
1: That's over the body of Moses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's why I think he was... Over
2: the body of Moses. Yeah, but who was the other dude?
0: Wasn't it Elijah? Elijah. Well, you you have two people that never died.
2: Enoch and
0: Elijah. Enoch and Elijah. Uh, you got Moses, whose body we're told was, you know, and I, it's kind of interesting. Why would Satan have wanted his body? I I can tell you why. I believe that it was. Why? He wanted people to know that he where he was buried, so he could become an idol to people.
2: that Makes sense. Yeah. because you
0: knew where his body was, then because he was the greatest teacher, even for the Jews, you know, he would have been made into a. Monument a place to the place to go and, than the
2: uh, you, you wrote
0: it. Yeah, but you look what you look what's happened to Muhammad Muhammad's grave is one of the holy sites for the Muslims Yeah, his birthplace is a holy site for the Muslims If he had been able to get Moses body I can guarantee you the Jews at least Would have been making pilgrimages to the tomb of Moses as the greatest prophet that they ever knew just what? Like, am, am I correct? They know where Peter is buried, and it's somewhere around the Vatican. Maybe. Well. The, the Roman Catholics say they know. Uh, if you read the history on this, it's kind of amazing that what few that they may have even known, they basically chopped up the bodies and sent them all around the world, so that they could have pieces of the disciples in all these different churches. So uh, you know, it's like of cremation. They get these <laughs> other cremation pieces also. So I mean it's kind of a bizarre thing, but that's what they did. Uh, most yeah. of most of Peter is supposed to be in the in the, the Silicus, but it is said that other pieces of him went other places and the same with a lot of the other disciples. If you study under the history, it's a bizarre history on what they did with these these bodies.
2: Okay, which one of them was it that the soldier fell dead into his grave? And was it Samuel? Uh, and, and he came back to life. Elijah. Elijah. It was. And I don't know if it was no, a soldier or Elisha.
0: Elisha. Elisha. I uh, was very. I believe it was I Elisha. Was I believe it was Elisha. Elisha, 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 Elisha. Elisha, and he was thrown into the grave. And you know, and I don't know if it was a soldier, but it was one of these guys, and he got thrown in. And, and, and as soon as his bones touched the prophet, he was resurrected. He was so resurrected. Resurrected. I remember the story. I think that it was Elisha, but I don't remember. The second one's an S, and the first one's a J. That's how I keep them separated. All right. So. The writer of this uh, psalm is saying, hey, they didn't get the land on their own strength. God gave it to them. Yes. Okay, so he's, he's reiterating history. He's recalling history here. You are my king. Oh, my God. Command deliverance for Judah. Though we, uh, through you, we push down our enemies. Through your name, we tread them under that rise up against us. Okay, so again, he's starting to speak. You know, Hey, even now, if we follow you, we're victorious. You, know, you have given us victory. You, through your name, we have victory. And what have we said about name? Does anybody remember what we said about name? What is it, when they say through your name or by, by your name, does anybody remember? We've covered this a few times. What does it mean? Well,
2: it's power and it's holy. That's why we're not supposed to use it in vain.
0: Okay. Uh, Jesus said that if we ask anything in his name, we will rec- receive it. What does it mean to ask something in his name? Does that just mean, God, I want, to, I want a Lamborghini in Jesus' name?
2: Oh, definitely not.
0: Is that praying in his name?
2: You have to ask, Do not ask a miss. Don't get
0: your job there, though. <laughs> you
2: songs. can't ask. Get your job stalled. You have to ask within his will, and you have, don't, if you ask and don't forget, it's because you ask a miss. Yes.
0: Okay, but what does it mean, in his name? We've talked about this before, and I want to try to review this with people. I was out that night. <laughs> you were out that night, okay. You were out that night, too. The name is...
1: Above all names.
0: Is the reputation, the, the power behind it is their reputation, who they are. All right. And we, we when we talked about this, we talked about an ambassador from a country. Everything they do, say, and act is in the name of the country that they represent. They have power because they are the representative of that country, and as long as they act properly, they're properly representing that name. So we're ambassadors. And we are God's ambassadors, but we if you're praying in Jesus' name in his name truly in his name you'll never ask amiss, because you will be praying in his characteristics his reputation you know, do I need a Lamborghini no I don't You know but if I was to pray for a van and say God I need a van because I want to transport people to church and Bible studies I am much more likely to get that van than a Lamborghini, than a Lamborghini because I'm saying God I want to use this for you so the, the name, he says, in your name, we have victory over our enemies. Because they're honoring him, they're respecting him, they're lifting him up. Very important for us to be able to understand what the name is. Because so many Christians have this idea, just like I said, in the name of Jesus, God, give me whatever it is. And they say, I'm, I'm praying in his name. I, I I tag his name and it's a magic magic word that i He's got to answer me because I prayed in... In his name, and no, it's much more than just using that name. There is
2: so much power in that name.
0: But it's not just the name; it's that reputation that the name stands, or it is who the name stands for. Uh, we've talked about this in the past. You know how most of us grew up in a generation when your name was what you kept. You know, you never did something that dishonored your family's name because your name was important, and your reputation that that name brought was important.
2: That's your testimony,
0: too. It was sure. your testimony. It was everything. It was who you are. And, it, it, you know, and if you blew your name, then your name was associated with whatever actions that you had done wrong. Town drunks get this, you know, their, their name is shattered in, the, in a community because people go, well, that's just the drunk. Uh, you know, that, that's who they are. That's, you know, they're the, they're the town drunk. And the reputation behind a name. We are to act and, and behave in, the, in, the, in a way that presents Jesus' name in a positive light. And we've seen Christians who name the name of Christ who aren't living according to his name. And I've shared with you that I had a, gen, a young man that worked for me when I first moved to Arizona, Kingman, Arizona. And when he quit, turned in his notice about a week before he left, I told him, I would like you to do me a big favor. And he goes, what is that? And I go, at your next job, do not tell them that you're a Christian. Right. And he looked at me like, what? I go, you do not work as a Christian. You are bringing shame to God's name in the way you work, please do not tell them that you're a Christian, or change the way you work. Oh, right. And, you know, this is what they're saying, in your name, God, we went forward.
1: Last summer, I met one of my nephews stars, that I had seen since she was a little girl. Now, my nephew was killed several years ago, you know, more so. oh. and she said, Auntie Loretta, my dad, she said, "The one thing I remember my dad telling me is, never in your life do anything that will shame or embarrass your auntie
0: Loretta and Mona. Don't bring my shame. sister, name yeah. Don't bring shame to the name. And that's that's we as Christians need to live in that way, well, not yeah. to bring my shame. But,
2: that is so but he relevant. still
0: recognize he recognized the value of the name of what you." Yeah. Of what you represented, and sometimes that's the only thing that will keep some people from doing something wrong is when they realize that if I do this, I'll have stepped too far over the line and brought shame to shame to the name.
2: Embarrassment.
0: Embarrassment, shame, uh, yeah. a, a scorn. Mm-hmm.
2: But so. the South is—it's been a while since I lived there. But when I lived there, that was a very big thing. Do not bring shame to
0: the family? Well, it's been true for a long time, but it is becoming, it is dwindling very fast. And yeah. I'm sure it is even in the South. I hate it. Uh, but it all comes down to when God is removed and his morality is removed, every part of morality is removed. And that includes not bringing shame to your name uh, and doing things that are, that are just evil. Because God has been removed from so many people's lives. And that's why we as Christians need to be that bright light to say, hey, there's a different way of living. Annie?
2: I have a question that's often left here and I apologize for bothering me. I know Jehovah Witnesses are anti war killing and all of that, but aren't Mormons too
0: Not that I know of.
2: They go to war and fight?
0: Okay. As far as I know. Then They're very vicious. They they raise their religion almost as viciously as the Mormons did. They would ride into town and convert, you know, convert to Mormonism or die. They they are they have a very bloody history in getting started. Mormonism. Oh yeah. Yeah,
2: I knew they did. I I was just thinking about the that they're throwing about. It's beside the point. Let's go back to the. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But he says, "Through you we push down our enemies. Through your name we tread them under that rise up against us." It says, verse six: "For I will not trust in my bow, neither my sword; neither shall my sword save me, but you have saved us from our enemies and have put them to shame that hate us." Now, this is this is really a great strong thing. He's saying, we've, "We're victorious because of you. We are victorious because of you." I'm, we don't have strength. If this is David, he's admitting that it's God that gave him the victory. If it's not David, it's somebody else is saying, we're victorious only because you. How many times as we walk with God have we seen God do great things through us that we know we can't do? Uh-huh. You know, witnessing to somebody. And I love it when I'm sharing with somebody and I start listening to myself and realizing it's not me speaking. Mm-hmm. It's God using my vocal cords, but it's God speaking to that person and not me. You know, when we sit down and we see something so clearly and we're able to avoid a trial because God has revealed what's coming our way. Because we just sit back and say, oh, (laughs) if if I do this, this is going to happen. If I do this, it's not going to happen. And it's not usually our wisdom and our smarts that have that happen. If we really think about it, it is God that has done that for us. And he's saying, God, you save us from a You have put to shame those that hate us. And this is where I talk so often and that we've talked about over and over during the book of Psalms. God is our defense. If we let God defend us, they will be put to shame. If we try to defend ourselves, it usually just makes matters worse. And it is important for us to get to the place where we trust God and say, God, it is yours to do. You know, God, this person's saying, you know, trying to bring me down and trying to bring our testimony down. God, you take care of them. And I even will pray, God, please don't hurt them too badly while they're they're having to be done. Because I don't want to see them crushed. And I know that that may be what God has to do, but I don't want to see it. And I do not want to take pleasure in somebody being hammered because of their speaking out against the church, speaking out against individuals in the church. God will defend us. And I've said over and over, and I've given you many examples of the people I've seen over the years that have been greatly judged and have lost everything because they've spoken out against a pastor. They've spoken out against one of of God's children and watched God rip their life. And we've talked oftentimes, sometimes the only way somebody will turn is when they hit bottom. And we have to be careful not to give people a reason not to hit bottom. Because if we do that, we're only delaying and actually hurting them in the long run. And we might say, well, I don't want them to be hurt. I don't want to see them get bottom. And I go, I, I agree with you. And I don't necessarily want to see them to hit bottom, but sometimes hitting bottom is where they will come and say, I need God. You now, otherwise it's, oh, mom or dad will help me or uncle, uncle will help me or grandma will help me. You know, I get down close to the bottom and they're going to, they're going to rescue me. And we end up becoming like God to them because we're the one rescuing them. And sometimes it's no, you need to hit bottom. Yeah, you got fifty grand. I can borrow that. Yeah. And then verse eight. In God we boast all the day long and praise Your name forever. Selah. I love this. In God, we boast. Now, boast is not something you usually look at as a positive, is it? No. You know, boasting is this whole idea of praising and bragging and inflating, uh, lauding, exalting. But when we boast in God, it's a good thing. Number one, we can never make him greater than he is. I don't care what we say about God, we cannot make God greater than he is so we can never use boasting in a bad way we can exalt him, we can praise him, but we will never in our earthly language make him greater than he is and he says in God we boast all day long is that, you know, hopefully we want to do that, hopefully we do that more often than not usually we don't usually we're not boasting about God all day long and building him up and edifying God it would be nice if we did. Yeah. You know, if we could look at everything and say, look what God is doing. Even if it's negative, look what God is doing. I I, I commented a couple of months ago about a, a quote from Nancy Lee DeMont. Anything that brings us to God is a blessing. And that's a powerful statement. Anything, whatever it is that took bring that it takes bring to bring me to God.
2: Yeah, bring it, yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, it, it could be broken leg, a car accident, uh, a death in the family—anything that brings us to God is a blessing to us.
1: I feel that I'm closer to God. I realize I know that I broke it for a reason. Yeah. That.
0: Yeah. And I do study more and everything since I
1: broke my leg. Mm-hmm. Good. And I feel ashamed because I didn't do that before.
0: You, you learn as you go along and you keep moving it forward.
1: And I mean, I told my sister-in-law, I said, you know, it's a shame that I had to wait till I was 100 years old before I really started <laughs> studying the Bible. And she laughed. She said, you know,
2: I was thinking the same thing to myself. But Judy said the same thing today at lunch. That reading the Bible has never meant
1: to her what it does right. She now. said told me she had learned more mm-hmm.
0: since she've been coming here than she ever did. But the key the key to all of this is hopefully we're always improving. Mm-hmm. Hopefully two years from now you'll be saying the same thing. I'm learning more today than I have ever learned. But at least one thing that's important is you've started.
2: Yeah.
0: I have met Christians in my in my walk that have been in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who have never fallen in love with God's Word, never studied His Word. Uh, and I've shared with you the very first time I taught senior adults when I was in my 30s, it scared the daylights out of me because I'm thinking what can I teach these people and then I walk into the class and say something that I thought was simple and they're stopping me in my tracks because I'm getting ready to go on to the deep stuff that I've been studying all week. And they stop me on my tracks and say, explain what you just said. And it just made a realization to me that there are so many Christians out there that have never gotten into God's word. And that's
1: sad. I, could, I sort of feel it in my heart that I'm sort of easing my way into my sister. Easing your way into your sister. Yeah. Go. Every chance I get now, like I told you last week, I was really upset because of a certain thing. So I told her, I said, You know, Johnny, I looked around in my house. I thought, I pay my bills. God lets me pay my bills. I buy the groceries. I'm not hungry. I need no clothes. I'm able to stable myself and at least halfway take care of things. And I said, You know, that's a shame that I should do that. And I said, that's wrong. She didn't say a word. Not a word. And the person I was talking about, she don't like it all. And I, you know, and I wrote I and several things I said to her about, you know what I just found out about myself. I said, you yeah, know that's wrong? And and she said she listens. Mm-hmm. And I have noticed that she sort of kind of letting up a little bit about being
0: so critical about other people. Yeah. Well, when we lift up God in, in, uh, toward other people, he's the one that will change their hearts. He's the one that will make that change. And when we, and especially when we're honest enough to say, man, you know what God showed me about myself this week? And you, and you open up and you share what God has shown, and all of a sudden they look at you and say, this is different. Yeah, but it, I mean, in their head, they're saying, this is different. This is, you know, and God is being lifted up. This is why I said, when I was in the workplace, I talked to people as if they were Christians, and I shared, you know what God has done this week? You know, this is what he did to me. And you can see in their eyes that they're looking at you like, you're a total nut. What are you talking to me this way for? But by the same token, they're hearing about a victorious God who's given me victory and getting, getting the glory. And that triggers in their mind that this person may be a nut, but they believe that this God is real. And then they watch you and start seeing that you live like this God is real. And you speak like this God is real. And one day they might even go, tell me about this God who's real because I need something more in my life. And it all comes down to this whole thing. I'm lifting up God. I'm recognizing that He's the one that gives me victory. He's the one that gives me my strength. He's the one that, that keeps me. I'm living in His grace, nothing that I do matters because it's Him living through me. And I get in the Word, I transform the way I think, I start thinking in a new way. I get rid of the world's thoughts and start putting God's thoughts in my head. And you know, it's so easy to get the world's thoughts. It scares me how easy it is to get the world's thoughts. Because I find myself thinking about something and I realize that's not a godly thought. Where did that come from? And I think about all the bombardment of the negative world view bombarding our brains, and I'm going, oh, okay, God, we're going to get rid of that one. Help me get rid of that one, Neil. Erase. 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 Oh, no. so that's uh-huh. say, that's not my
1: business, I say, that's not Right.
2: Yep.
0: Yep. And then it says, we boast in the all day and praise your name forever. <laughs> And again, praise is to give laud, to make great. I love the word praise in the Hebrew because it is to, to make great. Make great his name. Not that his name needs to be made great, but we want to lift it up and extol his name. Yes, Annie, you look very question. Where are you? Verse 8. Oh. Okay. All right, verse 9, he kind of shifts, he shifts, uh focus here in verse nine, we're going to slip from the past to more of a present view of wherever this writer is at. And they seem to be in apostasy at this point when he starts talking about it. He says, but you have cast off and put us to shame and go not forth with our armies. You make us to turn back from our enemy and they which hate us spoil us for themselves. So he's talking about, you used to give us victory, God. (laughs) You know, that's what our fathers said anyway, you used to give victory, and we praised you because of it, but he says now we're cast off, we're, 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 we're rejected, we are, we are put to shame. Now, think about this, shame, have you ever thought about the word shame? I looked it up in the old Webster's Dictionary, and it says a painful sensation excited by a consciousness of guilt.
1: Well, that couldn't have been said any better. Now, it was
0: very clear. When you read that, it, and I just love that part, painful. It
1: is. You know,
0: the sad part is that people do not feel shame anymore. Most people don't feel shame because they've thrown away the idea that there's any standards to have to live up to. And once you throw away standards, there's nothing to be ashamed of because there's no standard
2: to break. But it shame. Painful sensation
0: brought on by? Excited by a consciousness of guilt.
2: Excited
0: by? Excited, and, and, and that means to be lit up, to be, uh, if you are we have our fluorescent lights. They give light because the gas in it is excited by the electrical charge that flows through it. So say
2: that
0: one <laughs> Excited means to, to engage, to light up.
2: Excited,
0: what? excited by a consciousness of guilt, and the second definition that Noah Webster gave was having done something which injures reputation, which is the same, basically the same, yeah. same statement. Yeah. So they're both true. They're both true. Injures reputation. Injures reputation. So. He causes, He puts them to shame. He will put us to shame too if we do not walk in the right walk. Because shame is something that will be driving us back to Him. He will allow us to be, feel that guilt, that conviction. Not, not to make us feel condemned, but to bring us back to Him. Condemnation is what Satan does with us when we're guilty. Same, at the point of shame, we have two choices. We can either be condemned and feel like we're rejected by God or we can be convicted and come back to God and ask for forgiveness. If we're convicted, if we're, if we're uh, condemned, we're going to want to be as far away from God as possible because we feel that we're not worthy and that God can't help us. And that is when we go wallowing in the sin and, and don't come back. The conviction which the Holy Spirit gives us Leads us to repentance and returning to God. Okay, do you understand the difference? You look very pensive there, Annie. Okay, neither one of
2: them good.
0: Well, Satan's idea is to condemn us. If he can condemn us, he makes us so ashamed, so that we don't want to be near God.
2: Well, I've never been that way. Well, I've never, I've you been. shouldn't be.
0: You shouldn't, as a Christian, be condemned. And even as a non-Christian, you shouldn't be condemned because the Holy Spirit's uh, purpose is to convict us into seeking God. Uh, Condemnation is when we do something wrong and we feel so ashamed that we start staying away from the church. We start staying away from other Christians. We're trying to keep ourselves as far from God as possible because Satan's coming along and saying, well, how could you have ever done that? What kind of Christian are you? Nobody is ever going to love you because, you know, look how bad you are. You know, yeah, And that is condemnation. And then I start, if I'm being condemned, I start trying to keep away from everything because I have bought into the lie that I am not worthy of forgiveness, which I'm not. And, right. and this is why it's the lie. You know, God just won't forgive you because you're just so bad. And look what you did. You did that on purpose. And, you know, and if the people who even knew about what you do, nobody in the church will will like you anymore because they'll they'll know who you are. And that's condemnation and it pushes you further and further away from God and the church.
2: Unfortunately, though, there was a
0: time not too long ago, a my time and hers too, when that was a fact. Yeah, kind of, most of us at some point in our life have, have lived in condemnation.
2: Yeah.
0: And in certain churches it's even worse because they build upon that condemnation.
2: And everybody knows everybody and they will
0: so and this is why we have to live within the Holy Spirit's conviction. Oh man, I'm sorry God, please forgive me. And he brings us right back, just as we said this morning. He brings us back to where we fell from because it's not by works anyway.
2: Do any of you here ever ask God to forgive you for dreams?
0: I don't remember I don't ever remember a dream.
2: I get some of the wildest dreams I ever heard in my life, and I come up out of that bed, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, forgive
0: me. I don't know. It's unconsciousness, so Unconscious. I don't think you need to be asking him to forgive you for a dream. I'm just so. in case. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Where do we live? Uh, you have made us turn back from our enemies, or retreat from the enemies. Uh, they that hate us spoil for themselves. Spoil is a strong word because that means they take everything. Uh, We think about when when the Israelites left Egypt, they spoiled the land, and they took the riches of Egypt with them. Uh, There's many places in the Bible where it talks about them after the end of the battle, spoiling the the enemies and the cities, and that meant that they went and took everything of value from the bodies. And that was part of the, when they went to war back then, that was actually part of the reward for going to war. Right. Was the spoil, you know, because you didn't get paid. You didn't get paid to go to war, but you got to keep anything of value that you could take from the enemy. Uh, and the spoil—it's taking, taking away from it. It still happens a little bit today. It's not as not as much today. Uh, armies like the U.S. make it something that you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to take trophies and and rewards. You know. The the South. Yeah, we so. The spoils of the south. Yep. Verse 11, you have given us like sheep appointed for meat and has scattered us among the heathen. You. Now, this is really talking about pretty pretty serious thing. You've given them over. He said, you know, this is a depressed point. You've given them over as meat. In other words, they've run them into the run them into the stockyard. You know, the, here's your sheep. You know, they're they're here for your food. They're here for food, and then it says you've scattered us all amongst the heathen. So, and again, I don't know when this was written. It almost makes it sound like this is being written before Assyria or Babylon, actually, that they're going to die and be moved out. In which case, they deserve what they're getting because of the sin of the people.
1: When were they scattered out of their?
0: Uh, Assyria, 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 which I believe was like six or seven hundred BC, and then the, again around four or five hundred BC. Don't quote me on that. I don't remember the dates. My history, my history was never strong on dates. I I love. I can put things in order, but trying to put a date to it is another story altogether.
1: Like it was after
0: it's, it's sounding very much like this is the time that they're at. It could be after the. It could be after Babylon before Assyria. He could be speaking that the northern kingdom's gone and and uh, Babylon. yeah. So, um, so we got all of this going on. No, excuse me, Syria. Syria was the first one, and then Babylon, and then the Medo-Persian. Um, Syria.
2: I thought it was Assyria. Assyria. Yeah. They took them first. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It says, you've given us, a, you know, a sheep appointed for meat. You sell your people for nothing and do not increase your wealth by their price. You know, this is quite a statement. You know, hey, you're selling us. You're not even getting anything for getting rid of us, God.
2: You're just giving us away. You're just
0: giving us away and you make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. You know, a reproach a taunt, a scorn. You know, uh you know, he's really saying, you you really, you know, everybody around us they just taunt us, they scorn us. And then the word scorn really means to mock and derise. You know, to make fun of. And then he's saying and beyond that we're a derision. Derision, we're ridiculed. You know, he's really having some trouble here. And this is the case. You know, God God has gone through with the people of Israel. And you look at the the history of Israel. They get delivered from Egypt, decide that they don't wanna go into the Promised Land because they're afraid of the people or giants and and their children are gonna get killed. So God says, okay, you can wander around 40 years in the desert until you die, and and then I'll take your children in. They, They start conquering the land of Canaan, but never finish conquering the land of Canaan. Then, we go for hundreds of years under the judges, where they go into sin. God judges them. They repent, and they end up with a judge, and they and they and they're raised up, and they start taking territory back, and then they fall back into sin. God judges them by giving them a hard time with somebody, and you know, and they spend this up and down cycle for generations, where they're doing good, they sin, they're doing good, they sin, then they say, we want a king. They get Saul, who's not a very king, who very good king, who doesn't take him into righteousness. They get David, who brings him into a righteous thing, but David's not a good you know, a very good man in many cases, and he keeps getting chased out of the out of the palace on two occasions and runs for his life, and you know, they dwindle during that time. Then they get Solomon. Solomon's a pretty good king, but he he takes them away from God. Because of all of his wives, he takes them away from God.
2: Taxes and works them,
0: And he know. taxes them to death for everything that they've got, you know, for all the building he does. And then we go through all of the books of of First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and watch these up and down, up and down, down for a long time, back up for a little while, back down for a long time, up for a little while. Yeah, but
2: that's just Judah. Israel
0: Israel, Israel never had enough. Uh-oh. Israel never had enough. They were always they were always under the the sin of Jeroboam. And does anybody know what the sin of Jeroboam was that they talk about when you read it?
2: Idols.
0: Idol worship. Golden calf worship. He introduced golden calf worship in there and they never were free of golden calf worship in the northern kingdom from that point. And it's called the sin of Jeroboam. Just so you know. If you read it in the Old Testament and you see the sin of Jeroboam, it's talking about golden calf worship. I not yeah.
2: remember it was golden calf. But I
0: knew it was yeah, they put one in Dan and they put one in... Uh, Beersheba. One in the north, one in the south. And do you remember why, do you remember why Jeroboam put the, put the golden calves in? He, he didn't want people, he didn't want the people in the, in Israel to go to Jerusalem to worship God, as they were supposed to do three times a year. So he introduced golden calf worship and said, here's your God worship in these two towns in, in our country, basically. And stay out, stay out of, stay out of Jerusalem, because he was worried that if they went to Jerusalem, they would realize that they should have been part, should be one country again. So, and uh, so he goes, "You sell us for naught. We are reproach, we are scorn. You have made us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of heads among the people." And a byword is a scorn. It's it's a kind of a proverb. It's a saying. you know, a negative saying is a byword.
2: You're acting like an well, Israelite. Well, You're acting like
0: an Israelite. You're acting like, you know, something negative.
2: This has lasted
1: over the do so for years. Oh, yeah. It's, year it's, still, it's still there. It's still there.
0: This is still there. You know, They've always been attacked by Satan. Before Jesus, they were attacked because he wanted to try to destroy the line that the Messiah was going to come for. Now he just hates them because they're God's people, and he just wants to hurt them more than... He wants to hurt all people, but he wants to hurt the Jews and Christians more because they are God's people. You know, he hates all people. The whole purpose of Satan is to destroy people because we represent God's redemptive purpose. And because he looks at us and we can be redeemed, he wants to kill all the people. And we see it coming out in today's world. The, the people that are ultra-green say there's too many people in this world and there shouldn't be more than about a quarter million people on this earth. And more than a quarter million is too many. Now why they think they might be part of the quarter million, I don't know.
2: I was going to say, well then you ought to be the one we start with for. Yeah,
0: but, but their goal, their statement is that there are way too many people. And this isn't them coming up with this idea. This is Satan. Sure. coming up with this idea. Why do we have so much mass destructive weapons is not because the world needs them for battle It's because Satan wants to do as much damage as possible. He is the power behind all these decisions. Sure. And I'm not saying they're listening to what he's doing, but he is the one on the chessboard moving the pieces around and moving things so that it is his in game that he's trying to accomplish. Inflict
2: as much damage as
0: you can. He wants to inflict as much damage on God because he knows he's defeated. He was defeated at the cross. Before the cross, he tried to destroy them so that the cross would not happen. Since the cross, he is a most dangerous foe because he knows he's defeated and he's trying to do as much damage in the process as he possibly can. And if you look in history, Hitler tried the same thing. When he he saw everything turning against him, he did really stupid things to try to do as much damage and physical pain as he possibly could even though he knew he was defeated and satan is in that same game plan he's looking to destroy as much of the world as he possibly can and we know in the book of revelation millions and billions of people are going to die from god's judgments upon this world you know and this is a scary thing there's so many people out there and if you look you know just take our you know, three and a half trillion or four trillion people, whatever we're up to nowadays, you take away, let's say a quarter for the Christians that are raptured, they're still going to be like three trillion people. And by the time you get done, there's some 67 or 80% of the people will be dead.
2: Three trillion people right now. And he and this, and the green people say that there should only be how many?
0: A quarter million. Basically, they 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 would approve of something to destroy most of the people on this world. So, but that's Satan's plan. Satan doesn't want people. He wants to kill. He wants to kill all people.
2: Right. Because but God, God won't
0: let run. him kill all the people.
1: Was Hitler the only person that killed as many Jews? as you
0: No. Know, oh no. Killed? Well, he killed so a he lot because be he had the technology. But Jews have been killed,
1: well, I know they've been killed constantly, constantly since then.
0: He probably killed a lot of Christians, but uh, a lot of Jews. But he also killed a lot of Christians. Yeah. So.
2: Genghis Khan. I've got it's wrote down at home, but it's unbelievable how many men, how many people he killed.
0: But it wasn't the Jews that he killed. You're
2: right. So, yeah, I'm talking about Jews.
0: Yeah, Hitler probably because he had the technology to do so. <laughs> Has killed more Jews than any one leader out there that I know of. But the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church, over the over the Dark Ages, killed hundreds and thousands of Jews, if not if not into the millions. But they also killed hundreds and thousands of true Christian believers, who wouldn't who wouldn't repent of their what they believed. Uh,
2: They'd have killed Martin Luther King if they, they could. If they could have gotten
0: their hands on him, they wanted to kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've also got Stalin who killed many Jews and Christians. You've got Mao, uh, Mao Zedong in, in China who killed many, many Jews and Christians. So... Was he a Christian killer? Yeah, Paul almost in, any dictator pretty much has been a Christian killer and a Jew killer. So it's... I mean, so... Study Pol Pot. Pol Pot I don't... Know. Kill them a lot. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, so... Is he the one that's killed the most he's he's most well-known for the number of people that he's killed uh, Stalin and Stalin and, and and Mayo may have killed more in their times That they're not as open because of them being a communist nation So we really don't know how many people they killed during that process uh, So I can't say yes or no on that he killed a lot of people and many others have killed a lot of people But again, that's Satan's goal is to kill people. So when you get a dictator who's worried about staying in power, they're going to kill anybody that challenges their power. And that's why one of the things that we need to be in prayer for, if this country becomes a dictatorship, and I'm sure that it will, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it is going to become a dictatorship in the next two years, then we as Christians will become enemy number one, because we believe that there's standards, we believe there's right and wrong, we believe that there's somebody they're answerable to. And Christians and Jews will be killed in this country because we will be just standing up for God. There's right us. or there's right and wrong. And we'll be a threat to them. Yeah, we'll be in the we'll be in the will be in the re-education camps, and they are called re-education camps, which scares the daylights out of me because that's what Hitler called the concentration camps. He called them re-education camps. Re-educate, try to make people agree with the state, and that's what they will be for. You know, you're you're not believing right. We need to get you to believe right. If you don't believe right, then we have to kill you because we can't get you to believe right.
1: Okay, we paid twenty thousand dollars to the Japanese family. We well, they each states a cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe more than one.
0: But I mean, during World War II, they put the Japanese in those concentration camps and they each got 20 grand now yeah. after yeah. they've all died, pretty much old age. Yeah. And the family got or whatever. Yeah, well, it was wartime. It was a bad decision, but it, I understand why they did it. it didn't, you know, they didn't kill them. Right? So no. I
2: mean
1: they didn't put them
0: in camp. Yeah, it's understood why they did it. It wasn't right, but I understood it was understood what they did. And if yeah. they could have, if they could have figured out who were Germans, they would have put them in concentration I mean, camps either. They didn't either. kill them. I mean, they didn't put them. So, and they did put a lot of Germans in concentration camps as well, though it's yeah, not as well known. But I mean, they didn't kill the, the Japanese. They yeah. put American, American, American. Okay. it? There's,
2: it was soldiers they captured.
1: They had a camp in across, but
0: yeah. these weren't soldiers. They were now, <coughs> lived here and lost
1: businesses, homes. Yeah, I know. it was. It was. It was tough. That yeah, couple that lived here, side and her husband. Mm-hmm. He was a well decorated soldier, and they wanted to take her to the camp, and he took her with him to the army.
0: Yeah. verse 15 my confusion is continually before me my shame of the shame of my face has covered me for the voice of him that reproaches and blasphemes by reason of the of the enemy and the avenger so he says I'm confused you know and this interesting word confused here you know disgraced shamed insult ignominity insulted you know he doesn't really understand what's going on. All of a sudden, you know, he's not recognizing his sin. And you know, don't we usually do this? Is When we get into sin, sometimes we don't recognize that we are in sin until the light shines in and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I, I am getting what I deserved. I might have been arguing with God and fighting with him, but wow, I haven't been acting, thinking, saying things right. And God sends his little you know, judgments on us to trying to turn us and you know, all through the tribulation period the people that will have opportunities, the whole purpose of the judgments in the tribulation period is to bring people to God. And most of them will be saying, well, no, I'm not, this is natural disaster, this is whatever and they're not going to recognize it's from God and they're not going to turn. But God is going to give them every opportunity to turn. and. How many times have we been in that place where we're not recognizing that we've sinned? We, you know, we don't recognize that I'm. Uh, I love the idea of using God's name in vain lightly, you know, because so many Christians use His name lightly, not thinking that they're in violation to using His name in vain. You go, know, well, I never curse people with God's name, but that's not what the verse means. You're using His name name lightly and without cause, like the like the statement, "Oh my God," or Or, oh, God, you know, that people will say when something bad happens to them. Not that they're invoking God. It's just something they say. And it's amazing that it's always God's name or Jesus' name. It's never, oh, Buddha, oh, (laughs) Mohammed, oh, Allah. It's always God or Jesus. Now, why? Because Satan is trying, again, to influence us to violate God's rules. And we and we think about this, and again, it's not to say that he's the directly the one behind everything. And everybody knows what they're doing; they don't know what they're doing. It's but they're into his influence; they're in, they're under his influence. They're doing the things that he is guiding them into because they're not following God's word. And the funny thing is, is when you start reading and understanding God's word, you look at things, and it's so. It's like the idea that there's a statement that magician's tricks are, are only valuable when you don't know what's being done. But when you know what's being done, you almost laugh. Because you see the, the trick that everybody's being amazed by. And you're seeing the trick and you're going, oh. You know, and some of them are very good at doing it. You know, with the rings and they bring them together and they, and they hit that spot every single time. where The rings just go together and they can twist the, and hide the, hide the spot where they went together. Now, when they play with the cards and they have trick decks that are that are that are cheating decks I have a deck of cards that I can pull I can pull any card I want out of the deck by setting up the deck just the way the way I want I can have somebody draw draw a card have them put it back and lift the card out of the deck because it's a special deck mm-hmm. well now, uh, and when you see through the when you see through the trick You're it's but basically it is they're cheating but Satan is cheating God's word and people buy it because they're not getting their mind transformed they're not thinking with God well I used to say oh
1: my God you know a lot after all this and he said Yeah. So he he explained to me, you know, and I didn't. I mean until then I really
0: didn't Didn't know any better that
1: that was not good.
0: And that really is what happens is until until God uses his word or a or a teacher or another Christian to point something out, sometimes we don't know. And this is why I said it myself, there's so many TV shows that I used to watch and think were really good shows. Now I watch them because I've grown beyond the point I was 20 years ago, 30 years ago and I I watch the same show and I'm going, how could I have ever thought this show had any entertainment value in it at all? Because look, look at what they're doing to, you know, the family, look what they're doing to the, the husband and wife relationship, look what they're doing about toward God, and you start looking at it totally different because you've grown to a new place. And when we renew our mind with God's thoughts, we renew our mind with His Word, we start thinking differently. And then we start having to learn to love people that aren't there because the next side of it that aren't there yet, because the next side is I've grown to this point. Why aren't you there? (laughs) And we don't realize that it maybe took me 40 years to get here. You know, but I expect everybody else to get there right. yesterday not you know not giving them time to do it and we have to be very careful as God grows us in our thinking that we still give mercy to those who aren't there yet and we share with them what we learn we share with them where we, where we're at and the idea is this, as we like when we raise our kids our kids hopefully are getting a better start in Christianity than we had because we had to learn and if we teach them what we have learned, we hopefully start them up on a plateau that's higher than where we started at. And hopefully then they take the grandkids and start putting them on a higher plateau than they had. And there's not this long curve of learning to think with God because it started early on in their age where we take what we have learned and we impart it into our families and this is why it's important this is why i want to impart as much as i can to people here and try to get everybody on a higher plateau you know that we can just move them to the top plateau not not take this long time of learning but here come to this plateau and start here and move forward instead of well you can't do a degree they have to decide to do it because you can learn from others mistakes you can learn from other what others have done and this is what it means to start them on a higher plateau, or as the pilgrims say, their children stood on their shoulders to go forward because they learned, they learned the lessons and they basically boosted their kids up mm-hmm. saying, you don't need to learn all these lessons that I've learned. Here, here's the knowledge. Now, it's up to the person whether they accept, accept it, it and deal with it, but the idea is as we give this stuff to them, they can start at a higher level. The church here doesn't have to go through everything I learned, you know, everything I did to get to where I'm at. My goal is to teach, and if they accept what I teach and learn learn from it, they can start right. at a higher plateau and move forward from that. They don't have to spend 30 years getting to where God brought me. They can come up, oh, well, I'm going to learn from his 30 years, and I'm going to start there. And when we raise our families, we say, okay, here's what I've learned over all my lifetime, kids. Start here. Don't don't start in the in the in the in the miry pit. Go ahead and start start you know on the on the plateau and move forward. And this is where we as Christians go, as we give people what God has shared. Whereas as you said earlier, your sister's listening to you. Why? Not because you're preaching to her, you're just sharing what God has shown you and you're lifting him up and there's a response coming back. And if she was to make a decision for Christ and decided it's time to go forward, she wouldn't have to start way down at the bottom where everybody else started. She could start up at whatever level of knowledge that she's been taught and accepted. And this is why it's important for us. We need to be discipled by somebody where we get to start and say, I'm going to take advantage of their you know, growth and listen to what they have to say about God. And I'm going to start where they're at rather than... So I'm not going to start at square, square zero. I'm going to start on square 100 or, or a million or whatever it is. You know, you can take your pick how high up you want to go from, from their knowledge. But it works that way. We see families where generation after generation have done service for God, whether it's pastor or ministers or, or service. You know, and we see that they started out. They started out on the shoulders of the person that raised them. Might even be somebody who all the, all the family goes into politics. You know, because they know the ins and outs. They're not starting from the bottom bottom learning. You know. And we as Christians want to do the same thing. We want to teach God's word to our family members, our, our relatives, those who know us. Anybody who will listen to us. And get them to start on the shoulders of where we're at and say, and then praise God. I love to see people out, outshine me. You know when I was at college park people go well you know, what if I want your job I go you want my job be my guest. I'll go do something else if you can do my job better than I'm doing it you
2: should
0: have it praise God because there's plenty of other things for me to do and I came from a school of thought where I was trained as a pastor that you trained your replacement and said hey I want you I want somebody to do better than me I want them to outshine me and I can go do something else for God I can go someplace else and start start the process and know that somebody else is keeping, keeping it going and doing it better than I could. Planting it's very arrogant to think that there's nobody else to do something better than you can. Planting other churches and stuff. Plant another church. I mean, if somebody was to come here and say, you know, God called me to be the pastor here and everybody thought he was a better pastor and wanted to call him, great, I'll go someplace else and start another church. It doesn't bother me. Now, I'd be sad because I really think God's got me here for, for the duration, but if that happens, then it happens and I go someplace else but you know the idea is god uses people the way he wants to use them and we can't sit there and, and say you know i'm so important it can't be done without me matter of fact if you get to that point then i can guarantee that you're worthless you you're you're worthless to god and not going to be used by him
2: Thank you, I needed that. You
0: needed to be woke up? or No, oh. <laughs> no I
2: needed not be the
0: only one. <laughs> so, all right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Thank you, Mark. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and for your care and your love. We ask that you go with us this week. Give us opportunities to share you. Help us, Lord, to be able to lift you up in all situations that you will be lifted up. Help us to get to know more and more of you. And we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.